I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Wanda Hope, who is the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at Johnson & Johnson. Wanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Romy. Really glad to be here with you today. I am so excited to learn more about your career. It looks like you've been in the pharmaceutical industry a long time, and you started in sales. Can you tell us a little bit about how you made a decision to go into sales and pharmaceuticals? Absolutely. So yes, you're correct. I've been in the pharmaceutical sort of healthcare arena with Johnson and Johnson for virtually my entire career, which is unusual. Uh, which is very unusual. And you know, Romy, just a little bit about J and J first, so that people understand that component of it. J and J is a global enterprise with more than 250 different operating companies around the world. So while I have spent my career, my 30 plus career year career with j and I've sat in a lot of different seats, worked for a lot of different companies, uh, different markets, patients, customers, different life cycles of products and businesses. So, um, you know, this 30 plus year career that I've had has actually been quite dynamic with lots of different opportunities for development and growth. So you are correct. I started out my career as a sales rep uh, for one of J&J's companies. Um, And throughout my career, I think I've worked for eight or maybe nine different J&J operating companies. Wow. And, you know, my experience is not unique to Johnson & Johnson as well, right? We have a real focus on development. And one of the ways that we develop people is by giving them opportunities to experience different things, right? Because it helps you grow. So I spent the bulk of my career on the commercial side of the business in sales, starting out as a sales rep in Washington, D.C. And I was a territory-based rep there and then a hospital-based rep there with some wonderful accounts like Walter Reed and Bethesda Naval and NIH and George Washington University and Howard University. University Hospital, so some great accounts there. I then moved into the home office uh, with my first J&J company, Janssen Pharmaceuticals, as a sales trainer. Then I took on a very uh, different role, um, and it was the first role of its kind at Johnson & Johnson, where I was the manager of strategic alliances. And, you know, it's so funny because now we have whole companies dedicated to strategic alliances, but back then it was relatively new in the pharmaceutical industry. And so I took on that position, which, you know, as I think back, sometimes I'm like, how did they give me so much responsibility? I was so young, right? And just so inexperienced, but willing to learn and willing to jump right in. And um, so, yeah, but that gave me this foundation really early in my career where I was connected with all parts of the organization. So I was, because with the strategic alliance companies, I was sort of the brand manager within J&J of those companies. And I was responsible for managing the contract in the relationship with those companies. So I got the opportunity really early in my career to be connected not only with our Janssen uh, different functions such as finance and regulatory and R&D and, of course, sales training and marketing, et cetera, but I also got to see those at our alliance partner companies as well. So I think that gave me this sort of great 
base really early on in my career to start understanding how all of the components to bring a product to market and to make it successful have to work and connect together. And when I say it was the first in that role, like, I mean, I was really the first at J&J. There was no job description. I had to create my own job description. I had to create my own salary band, which was interesting, right? Ooh. (laughs) And so it it was really a very unique opportunity. But after having some success in that role, I went out to be a district manager with Janssen Pharmaceuticals, part of J&J. Had a lot of success there, being the number one district in the country and won our what we call our President's Award and uh, had lots of great talent that have gone on to do wonderful things within J&J. Then I moved to my next J&J company, which at the time was Ortho McNeil. Now we've you know sort of evolved and emerged and a lot of these legal entities don't exist anymore. But at Ortho McNeil, I was first a regional business director and also another sort of unique opportunity When I became a a regional business director, it was for a startup franchise. So I was literally the first person hired in my region. And I had the responsibility of hiring uh, five district managers and about 70 sales representatives in a very short amount of time. And that was like such a growth opportunity because, you know, I knew that whatever happened in that region, I owned it. Good or bad, I owned it. And if it was a success, I felt like it was going to accelerate my career. And if not, who knows where I'd be today, but it was a success, right? (laughs) High risk, high reward. High risk, high reward. So I took on that opportunity. And then after having success there and being um, the number one region in the country again, I moved on to become a product director, then a national sales director for Ortho McNeil. Then I moved to my third J&J company, which was Global Strategic Marketing, which was another opportunity that was sort of a startup. Um, We were really relaunching this global strategic marketing organization to be much more connected with drug development early in, in stage. And so I was one of the first two global marketing leaders named in this new organization and got to really sort of set up and create that role and establish what that would be and how that role would work within the compound development team to bring a product to market that was very early in, in development and in phase two in development. And so after that role, I then moved to my next J&J company, which was Ortho Biotech at the time. And that was my first vice president role. And I came in as a vice president of sales and marketing for uh, first the surgery franchise. And what was interesting, Romy, was as I got into that role, I quickly realized that the business model didn't make any sense. I mean, it it was a challenge, right? Yeah, it just didn't. I I had a lot of questions about it. And so, you know, I brought those questions to my boss, who was the president of the company, and we talked it through. And we actually decided the best thing to do was that that business wasn't really sustainable. And so we were able to evolve that into another franchise. And, you know, it was a great opportunity and and lots of growth happening throughout the organization. So we were able to place all of our sales representatives and everything like that. But it was also another big learning opportunity to say, you know, you kind of have to always stay focused on what's best for the customers and the patients and the business and not be so focused on what's best for yourself as an individual. Because with that recommendation, I recommended myself right out of a job. Now, 
luckily, uh, you know, I had the background and the experience and I quickly sort of stepped into another vice president role, but that was also a big learning experience for me. And then within that role, I've had a couple of different franchises that I was VP of sales and marketing for. And then somewhere in there, Romy, I had a baby. I had my son (laughs) who is is 15. I'm not sure how you found time, but yes. Okay. (laughs) Who is 15 years old right now. Wow. Uh, My son's name is Tyler. He's a sophomore in high school. And he truly is my miracle baby, right? He was a long, long time coming into this world. And it was a very long and difficult pregnancy. And so after he was born, you know, I stayed out for a bit of time and I came back to work and and I kind of quickly realized that I needed to find a different way to contribute to Johnson & Johnson that uh, while I absolutely loved my job and was 100% committed to it, I had to learn how to live life in a different way now with a newborn at home. Yeah, for sure. And I, what I wasn't living into was the kind of mother that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So I had a very courageous conversation with my boss at the time, who was president of the company. Uh, his name is Joaquin Duado. He actually was just named to be the next CEO of Johnson & Johnson. Wow. And Joaquin and I had a wonderful conversation. You know, I talked about the challenges of coming back into what I call the trifecta of jobs because I had a huge responsibility to the business with a P&L of about a billion dollars. I had huge people responsibility nationally for sales and marketing personnel within that franchise. And it was pretty much a customer facing role. So Mm -hmm. I was on the road all the time. Probably it was really challenging, right? Probably I was probably on the road, I don't know, 60, 70% of the time. And so as I had this conversation with Joaquin, you know, he said, okay, one, I I get it. Right. And he said, so if you had to give up one of those three things, which would you give up? And I said, oh, that's easy. It would be the travel. I want a big responsibility. I want big people responsibility. I want to continue to contribute at a high level and to be in a big leadership role. If we could find a way to do that without me having to be on a plane every week, that would be fantastic. And he said, okay. Right. And so sometimes Romy timing is everything. Right. And and I will say. I was very strategic about that conversation because I knew we were going into succession planning. Right. And so when I talked with Joaquin, I said, can we look out during the succession planning process to see if there's other opportunities that might become available? And he called me back about two weeks later and he said, hey, guess what? I have an idea. Right. And so that idea led into me becoming the vice president of commercial analytics and operations for our biotech companies as we were kind of merging them together into one organization. And so I went in and I did that role, which was interesting because I had never done I had never been in the job of anybody in my organization, Mm -hmm. yet I was successful in the roles. That was a big lesson around leadership for me and what it really takes to be a leader. You know, we had to align processes and uh, uh, align data sources and, and all of that across our two different biotech companies. And then Joaquin called me about a year and a half later and he said, hey, guess what? We're going to do it all over again. And that's where we formed the Janssen Pharmaceuticals that we know today here in the U.S., where we have all of our Johnson & Johnson farm biotech companies under one umbrella. And so I then became vice president of analytics development and operations with a team of a little over 250 people supporting 
all five of those business units for all of their sales and marketing needs. Uh, and then I said, what do I want to do next? <laughs> and I really kind of thought back throughout my career and thought back through a lot of the uh, coaching that I had had and advice that I had had. And I had just gone through an assessment, the Gallup Strength Finder assessment, where they kind of give you, you know, all of your, they, they look through your innate talents and, and talk about the things that come more naturally to you and the things that really, that if you leaned into, could be your greatest strengths. And as they outline my top 10 strengths, they, they also kind of give you the kinds of jobs or areas that would be helpful for you that, or that might link to your strengths. And I probably had six out of my top 10 that said something like, you should think about doing something in HR. And I, I thought that was interesting because throughout my career, I had had HR partners consistently telling me like, Wanda, you'd be really great in some different things around HR, right? But I was sort of like, I'm a business leader. What would I possibly do in HR, right? Well, managing huge groups of people is HR, right? It, yes, it, it is, right? But when I saw that, I said, well, let me just explore this a little bit more. And maybe there's something here that others have recognized in me that I've not yet recognized myself. Maybe it's worth some exploratory conversations. So I went and I had all kinds of exploratory conversations with HR leaders, including our CHRO at the time, and, you know, really kind of said, you know, this might be something interesting for me if, if the right opportunity became available. And so sh shortly thereafter, I actually moved into corporate HR and I took on the role of vice president of global performance and development for Johnson & Johnson and launched uh, the new process globally of how we track performance across the organization. And then uh, after being successful in that role about six years ago, I moved into what I would say is my passion job, my dream job, and that's the role that I'm in today as our Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer. So that, Romy, is a little bit about my career. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's incredible, Wanda, and you have such a wealth of experience in so many different areas. And as I hear your story, there were kind of two things I wanted to draw out. Mm -hmm. One is, I mean, your middle name is internal mobility, right? And so I know that a lot of our audience wants to know how to make themselves prominent so that they're tapped for internal opportunities. What advice do you have for how did you position yourself so you were noticed and, and tapped for these all these different opportunities? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Romy. And I, I, I would say that um, throughout my career, I've been very strategic about my career, very purposeful, very intentional around opportunities in my career. And I was extremely, extremely privileged early in my career to have a mentor sit me down and to really teach me how to think strategically about my career. And if anyone's ever heard me talk about this, I have a whole talk that I do solely around this, and it's called How to Accelerate Your Career. But what I learned early, early in my career in that conversation with that mentor was that you have to treat your career just like you treat your business. You need to plan for it. You need to be strategic about it. You need to be intentional about it. So early on, you know, I had with this mentor, we went to dinner one evening at the Yardley Inn in Pennsylvania. 
right? And over hot wings and wine, he asked me, what is it that you want to do with your career? And I mean, honestly, Romy, I was so new in my career. I think I was in my second role at J&J and I hadn't really thought about a long-term goal, but I was sitting here with this vice president of HR who had taken the time to mentor me. And, you know, I kind of thought I better say something good, right? (laughs) And so I actually kind of quickly blurted out, you know, I want to be a vice president of sales and marketing. And here's what really struck me about that conversation. Even though I was so junior in my career, he didn't blink an eye. He looked at me and he said, that's great. It's aspirational. I love it. Let's talk about how we get you there. And then that evening at the Yardley in Romy, we sat down and we proceeded to write down all of the different experiences that I would need to have, the competencies, the skills that I would need to have to be successful when, and this is exactly how he talked about it, when you get to that role of VP of sales and marketing, it wasn't an if, it was a when. And so we wrote down things like, you're going to have to learn people leadership. You're going to have to build financial acumen. You're going to have to know how to manage a P&L. And then we wrote down the types of experiences or jobs that would help me to get there, right? And so very early in my career, I really had this strategic roadmap that helped me to understand which jobs would help me to move towards my goal of being that VP of sales and marketing and equally important to help me to understand which jobs might actually detract from me reaching my goal because it might pigeonhole me in certain places. And so having that roadmap, that strategic guide was extremely helpful. But then the key was building a network of support and telling your story and being confident enough to share with what I wanted to do and my career goals with others in the organization. Because if I had that, you know, if I had that roadmap, that strategic plan, and I didn't tell anybody, I'm not sure how it would have worked out. But I set up conversations with leaders across the organization to make sure that they understood, you know, to get their advice more on sort of my career plan, uh, my goals, to ask their advice and their perspective on, you know, what kinds of development things should I be doing to help me move towards the right path. But what that did, Romy, was it let a lot of people in decision-making, with decision-making power, understand that I had career goals that I wanted to achieve, that I was willing to put in the work and I wanted the development to achieve them. They understood that I had ambition and having having that understanding, I think made it really, really easy when there were opportunities for my name to rise to the top. So that was really how I managed it. Very strategic. And I told my story to anyone that would listen. Yeah. And I will confess to you that in my career, I think I've been terrible at doing what you did, which is thinking multiple steps ahead. And what do I want to be in 10 years? And what do the steps look like in between? And I think to your point, without saying it to yourself, you're not ready to say it to anybody else. So you can't set yourself up for those opportunities because you haven't, you haven't voiced it 
in your head or outside your head yet. Yeah. And Roma, you know, I say this all the time. If you can't tell your story, trust me, nobody else can. Yeah. Nobody else can. Amazing. You you have to create your story and you have to be confident enough to tell people not only who you are and what you're about and the value that you bring, but you also have to be confident to tell them what you want. And if you're able to do that, other people will repeat it. Right. It's like I say, you have to treat your career like you treat a business. It's marketing. Right. When we're marketing a product to consumers, we tell them what the what the value is of our product, what the benefits are of our product. And then consumers get it right. It's the same thing with your career. You have to be able to tell people the value that you bring, why you are different than every other candidate out there that you're competing against. And, you know, once you get confident in doing that in the right way, right, then people will be able to repeat that story for you. And I think sometimes, Romy, for us as women, um, I hear this with both women and with people of color. Mm-hmm. People are hesitant to do it because they say it feels like bragging. Yes. It feels like bragging. I'm not really comfortable doing that, Wanda. And I, I am here to tell you men do it all day long, every day, every hour. My people. son has a favorite quote. And it's Muhammad Ali. And it's, it's not bragging if you can back it up. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Right. But, it, but men are very comfortable telling their story and asking for what they want. Quite frankly, even if they don't always have the skills and the competencies to back it up. And as women and as people of color, we're really hesitant to do that. But we've got to get comfortable telling our own story. People ask me, like, how did I do it so that it felt comfortable? And I never, you know, it's not going in and saying, let me tell you how great I am. Right. I always took it to going in and saying, like, can I share with you my career aspirations? And I'd love to get your perspective to see if I'm on the right path, if there are other things that I need to do. But in doing that, it came across as I want to learn because I want to grow. I value your perspective. But in doing that, the other person is also hearing your story. Yeah. So Wanda, it's so funny you brought this up. This is actually a fairy god boss tradition. Mm-hmm. So we ask every woman who comes on this show to brag because we know that women are not as good at bragging and we want you to role model it for our listeners. So I'm going to seize this opportunity to put okay. you on the spot and show us how it's done. Can you just brag for us a little bit? Let's say we're in an elevator and you're there with the CEO who obviously you have a great relationship with. What are you going to say about you? So I would say, you know, I have had such a wonderful, wonderful career at Johnson & Johnson. Throughout my career, I've learned so much. I've had the opportunity to contribute at really high levels. I have demonstrated great people leadership, great business leadership, great P&L leadership, and all of those things. Alex, who's our current CEO, or Joaquin, our incoming CEO, really set me up to take on bigger opportunities within J&J. I've demonstrated success over every position that I've been in, right? And of course, I have the things to back that up. And I really want to contribute at greater levels because I want to help this company be successful. I want to make sure that our patients and our consumers and our customers get the best that J&J has to offer, right? And so that's really how I would tell my story in an elevator speech. I love it. Amazing. Bravo.
was so good. Oh, thank you. Um, Wanda, you've emphasized the impact of a diverse workforce in Johnson Johnson's ability to meet the needs of diverse communities it serves. This often requires companies to build pipelines of diverse talent. In support of this, I am delighted that we at Ferry Godboss are partnering with Johnson Johnson on the Women in Science, Technology, Engineering, Manufacturing, Math, and Design, the YSTEM 2D program. Could you tell us a little bit about the program and why it's so important at J&J? Our overall mission is to ignite the power of women inside and outside of Johnson & Johnson to improve human health and the health of society. J&J is dedicated to increasing interest among young girls and women in science and health careers through our YSTEM 2D initiative. In partnership with organizations such as Girl Scouts, FIH360, and the Smithsonian Institute, we've reached over 6 million girls around the world. We engage with and support young women in their undergrad and graduate studies through our Women in STEM 2D Scholars Award program. Since its inception in 2017, we've recognized 18 brilliant women, providing them with mentorship and a total of $2.7 million in research funding. And of course, we are pleased to work with the Fairy Godboss team to better connect with young women professionals. Through our webinars, Instagram takeovers, and the Women in STEM 2D group on the Fairy Godboss website, our J&J leaders have enjoyed networking and meeting prospective new talent. The contributions of women throughout our history as a company have fueled our creativity, innovation, and growth to better serve the needs of our patients, consumers, and customers. We know that when women and girls are supported and encouraged to pursue their curiosity, they are catalysts for change. With this in mind, we continue to support the development of women in STEM, both in and beyond J&J. I have another question to ask you before we get to kind of our fun little questions, which is, so you had a very long, we talked about you had a very long operating career. Mm-hmm. And now for the last several years, you've been in DE&I. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about coming up in your career as a woman and a woman of color and how that perspective has influenced your decision to take on this DE&I role and what you hope to see, what you hope to change? So DE&I has been a part of me since before I was born. Of course. No joke, right? Has been fighting for fairness, for justice. If if I share this story with you, it also helps you to understand who I am and how I got to be, right? It might surprise you, Romy, and, and listeners to know that the most valuable possession in my family is a roll of toilet paper. Wow. Now, I know you're thinking, why in the world, Wanda, would a roll of toilet paper be so important to you? Well, it started on February 21st, 1962. Students at Morris College, a small historically black college in Sumter, South Carolina, should have been going to classes, should have been studying, or should have been just simply enjoying college life. But Romy, these students had a higher calling these students had a greater purpose. You see, these students were actively involved in the civil rights movement of the 1960s. Now, my mother, Tilly Bing Bryant, was one of those students. And that afternoon, she went to the Crest Five and Dime store to participate in a lunch counter sit-in. Now, if you remember our history back then in the South, 
Black people were not allowed to eat at the same lunch counters, not allowed to drink from the same water fountains, not even allowed to use the same restrooms as white people. So this was a brave and courageous act, especially for a young lady at the tender age of 19. Like that just blows my mind when I think about how young she was doing this work. Now, my mother has a really light complexion. So she was able to go into that Crest Five and Down lunch counter, sit down and order lunch without really being detected as a black person. She ordered a simple burger and a soda. When the food came, she motioned for the black male students to come in, quickly pushed the food down to them and they began to eat. Now, Romy, as you can imagine, chaos ensued. The white customers in that five and dime became enraged. The sheriff officers were called and arrived quickly carrying visible blackjacks and billy clubs. And as they dragged those students out of that lunch counter by their shirt collars, the students were threatened outside with police dogs in water hoses as they were tossed into the back of the sheriff's vehicle and hauled off to jail. Now, that was one of the many times that my mom was jailed during the civil rights movement. And during this particular jail stay, she decided to write her story on a roll of jailhouse toilet paper. And on this roll of toilet paper, she describes her fight for freedom and equality and why it was so important to her. And Romy, the passage that means the most to me is when she actually writes to her mother on the roll of toilet paper. And she writes, mommy, I know you told me not to get in jail, but I don't mind being in jail as long as I know one day when I have children of my own, they will have privilege and can do the things we're fighting so hard for today. Now, I grew up, Romy, looking at this roll of toilet paper proudly displayed in our China cabinet. I grew up learning about the civil rights movement and my mom and my dad's fights for freedom and equality and fairness. And I really grew up learning about how important that was in our lives, in our community, in society as a whole. And it shaped me into the person that I am today. And it really has helped me to be a strong leader in business, in my community, and just in my personal life. And I've taken all of those lessons and you know, not only applied them through all aspects of my life, but I truly believe those lessons are helping to set me up for success in this current role as Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer. And so being able to take all of my business experience and apply it to DEI in a much different way and help Johnson and Johnson think about diversity, equity, and inclusion as a true business imperative and plan for it just like we do any other business opportunity or business challenge, I think has helped to make us extremely successful in, in J and J within this DEI space. And you know, and that's really when you think about it, J and J has been committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion for all of our 130 years, 30 plus years, right? Even when you go back to the very first employees of J and J, more than half of our first 15 employees were women. Wow. Right, which was virtually unheard of at that yeah. at that time. And diversity, equity, and inclusion is embedded into our credo, and it really is how we operate. So coming into this role six years ago, you know, I really had a challenge in that people said, Well, we do this pretty well, and we do. 
right? But my challenge was how do I make it better, right? Mm -hmm. How do I take it to the next level? Because whenever you go into a role, you're never going into a a leadership role to keep things the same, right? It's always how do you make it better? How do you grow it? And so by coming in with my business experience and really applying that lens to this space, we truly built a strategic plan based on data and evidence to help guide us in what we do in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what that's done for us at J&J globally is it's changed the whole conversation around DEI. It's changed how the organization thinks about it. It's made DEI something that everyone relates to and everyone values. It's not just about diverse populations or the other anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, you know, I feel like we really have not only continued on our journey, but really accelerated our outcomes around diversity, equity, and inclusion in the space in the last couple of years. I thought it just might be helpful to have a little bit of understanding of sort of who I am and who I come from, because my mother is a pretty fierce woman. Wanda, that story's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing it. And and what an incredible role model to grow up with. It certainly explains a lot about the work that you're doing for certainly one of the most prominent companies in this country, right? And I think what you've said is so essential that where DE&I efforts are most successful, it's when they're primary to the business. That sounds certainly to be the case where you are. Well, Wanda, this has been an incredible conversation, and I so appreciate you sharing your wealth of experience with us today. So to close, I'd love to just ask, you know, if there's, if you could boil it down to one piece of advice you want to leave our audience with, what would that be? Yeah, you know, one piece of advice is always difficult, but, you know, if I think about what has helped me to be successful and what I think has helped so many others to be successful, it's you have to be true to yourself. You have to be, you have to understand who you are and what you want and how you want to live your life and contribute to the world. And once you understand that, you can then tell your story to have to have others not only understand what it is that you want to do, but have others help you along on your journey. So my one piece of advice advice would be just be true to yourself and who you are. And if you do that and you live into that, there is no choice really but for you to be successful in your life. Amazing. Wanda, thank you very much for sharing with us today. It was great spending time with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy Godboss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.